We are we're going to be in Romans a while, I think. Um, I've already figured out that there's no way to go through it quickly. I don't want to go through it quickly, but I'm I'm thinking that uh, this is going to be a six-wire fence, if any of you know about fence building, okay? Uh, could even be a seven-wire fence. That's when you have to stay extra long, <laughs> okay? So, anyhow, that probably doesn't resonate with most of you, but if... Uh, if you were from where I'm from, you would know that if I said we're going to build a six or seven wire today, we're going to be there a long time. So that's, that's what it means. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 10. And one of the things I might say as we're looking at these verses is that there are varying themes within these, this pericope of Scripture that talk about some fundamental issues. We have baptism is thrown out a lot in these first verses. We have uh, the resurrection. Uh, We have the cross as a theme. Uh, We have slavery that's going to be coming up later. Um, And we have freedom. And all of these things are happening in in Romans chapter 6. So today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 through 8. That's our emphasis chapters on the doctrine of sanctification. A baptism of death to life is what we're going to be looking at specifically. Before we read our chapter or our passages, I'm going to continue to go over the problem statement. Because I think that we need to begin to own this problem statement. We need to... Take it in and think about it. I I, I nuanced it a little bit more this week. But in reflecting upon the church in Western culture, the problem is a failure of 21st century Western Christians, that's a very specific group, to understand and apply the doctrine of sanctification to personal holiness in their everyday lives. In other words, to live like Jesus doesn't live there. Okay, we, we tend to, as a church, as a whole in the Western countries, allow things to be inside of us that should not be. There's a consequence to this. The result is a weak and lethargic church with no power, no passion, and an ever-increasing conformity to the world around them. And I don't think any of us would here would disagree that there is an increasing conformity on behalf of the church, in looking like the world today. Not only looking like it, but acting like it. So my question is, where does this come from? Why does this happen? Obviously, the first answer would be, there are a lot of people that identify as Christians in America and in Western culture that really aren't Christians at all. They're churched. They have churchianity, and there's a great bit of difference between churchianity and biblical Christianity. Churchianity is a statement of faith in the organism, the organism or the organization of the local church or perhaps the ecclesiastical body as an identifier of, I I like them, I align with them, my family comes from them, or it could be as simple as I attend that box down there and I go. And I hear a sermon every week. But there's no change in the life. They just, they're churched. They have churchianity. They've missed Jesus. It's it's up here, but it's not in here. And I would even venture to ask, ask 
if what they're hearing in most places is even out of here. As same preacher that was talking about the revival that happened among the Confederate soldiers went on a uh, uh, meeting for pastors and clergy. And again, he's Presbyterian and very obviously conservative branch. <laughs> but uh, he went and he went into another town and, and he decided that uh, he would go to visit a church while he was there. Good idea. And he went and he was shocked at uh, how horrifically worldly and um, with all the trappings the worship service was just he said it there was not about Jesus how about that he said the only saving grace was the pastor's message was short thank the Lord he said I felt like I needed some some toys to play with while I was listening so that was one of his first things but then he said the second thing I did was after the second time I went to a southern Baptist church I thought for sure they'll be preaching the gospel And he walked in, and the first thing I saw was a clip from Whoopi Goldberg from when she was playing a nun. And they had that going off during their worship service. Not understanding that. And you think, well, these are isolated incidents. No, they're not. They are not isolated incidents. They're happening all the time. Church has gotten to the point where it's stooping and lowering its standards to borrow from the world strategies and attractions to try to fill the seats. And the reason that happens is because the Spirit isn't doing it. So then that begs the question, why isn't the Spirit doing it? Because we have gotten to the point where we're used to hearing the gospel. We've taken it for granted. We, we, we disavow, we, 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 we put out of our, our realm of thinking the responsibility that we have of being salt and light in this earth. And that if we are genuinely saved by grace and we've had an encounter with the living Jesus, God of heaven and earth, then our lives should reflect that. There should be a drive within us to promote Him somehow, some way. And we're not seeing that as we once did. Uh, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand. We're going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Why do we stand when we read God's Word? Because it's God's Word. That's why. And let us never forget that is the central foundation from which we come here today and gather. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now you see that walk part there. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives... He lives to God.
Let's pray. Man, glory, Father, for these words. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Thank you that you took and bore in your body on that tree our sins, our filth, our wickedness. And you experienced in yourself what we should be given. That's the penalty for us, but you bore it yourself. And by your efficacious and crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, we can now live in you. Just like you died, Lord, you invite us to come die with you. And just like you live, Lord, you come and die, invite us to live just like you. These are fundamental principles. As someone had just told me a while ago, Lord, it's Christianity 101. God, we can never get too old for the basics. Teach us, Lord, thy word today. Give us an understanding to it. Lord, weld it to our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we're looking at these passages, I couldn't help but think of a passage out of John just to kind of set the stage. So Jesus is back in Bethany. He's actually going and eating with Lazarus who had just been, he had been previously uh, resurrected. It'd be quite the dinner conversation and they're all there with him. And, and it says a lot of people came not only to see Jesus, but they really wanted to see this, this man who was dead in the grave and resurrected again. And it, it talks about how the religious leaders were around and they had plans. They wanted to kill Jesus, but they especially wanted to kill Lazarus because he was a living example of what happens to a man when he's resurrected by Jesus, the God-man. And so there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of tension in the air, as you could say. And uh, later on in this passage in John twelve twenty, 20, uh, Jesus says this, or this is what was happening, and then I'll tell you what the Lord said. So there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So it's a chain of command. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus, I can't imagine what they, because every time you ask Jesus a question in the New Testament, he gave you an answer and made you think for a bit. They said, hey, these Greeks want to see you. And here's what he answers. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Do you want to see him or? No. Because And then he goes on to say, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. I don't know whatever became of the question about should he see the Greeks or not. But he just told them it's time. And the only way that the Lord can be with all of us at once. Like he couldn't be then was he had to die. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It cannot reproduce and live again. 
And so Jesus seeks to live in us. But we must die. And that's where Romans actually starts out with when we read in the passage that we've been reading. In Romans chapter 6. Before we start there, I want to read you from what is known as confessions of faith. Some of you might term to call them statements of faith. Either way, these are the things we believe. So, first, from the 1689 London Baptist on baptism. Notice this language. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. Amen. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with Him in His death and resurrection. It's a sign of it. Of their being, it's also a sign of their being grafted into Him. It's a sign of remission of sins. It's a sign of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Because that's what being a Christian is, is to walk in newness of life. Now, the Northridge Fellowship Confession of Faith or Statement of Faith has it down. NRF believes in two ordinances of the church given by Jesus Christ. One, baptism. Northridge believes that baptism by immersion is commanded of all believers as an act of obedience. Signifying, so it's a sign, of the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. Of the believer. And then, of course, Northridge goes on to say, does not believe in baptismal regeneration, nor does it believe that baptism is necessary to be a believer. So, we have two two uh, confessions of faith. They both say, they, they both address some of the same issues, but the same topic. One's a little more in depth, the other, they each have their points. But they both say this, and I think this is interesting. To those baptized, it is a sign of death to themselves. You're dying. When you become a Christian, you die to yourself. That's when you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit is, is directing you to the cross and you come because you know you can do no other. You come and you die there. You say, I am finished with my life. I'm finished with religion if I have it. I'm finished with my, my philosophies that I, that I think I know. And I'm coming to Jesus and I'm Burying it all there, and I'm dying, and I'm saying, here's my life, Jesus. I give it to you. Nail it to the cross. And Jesus, I'm asking you to give me yours, that I might live as one raised up again, just like you. That's, that's really the nutshell version of what these passages are saying. In Romans 6, 4 He begins with a therefore. The therefore is from what has been said previously. And the first thing he starts out with in Romans 6 is, Shall we continue in sin that we may have more grace? And then he gets into verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now, Paul is illustrating the fact that we should not want to continue in sin when we've come to Christ. Because we've died to it. Why would we want to continue it? We always 
hate to see some of the uh, plants go at the end of the season, whether you're gardening or farming, because there's going to be nothing else come off of it. It's over. When you come to Jesus and you die to Him, you live again, but you leave that stuff over there. Now, what he's talking about is the reigning factor of it that we'll get into here in a minute. Do we still have the ability to sin? Yes, we do. But we've lost the ability to only sin. Do you get the difference? Before Jesus, that's the only ability we have is to sin. But what's been restored to us is the ability not to. It doesn't have dominion, as we'll see here in a minute. So in Romans 6, 4 then, Paul writes, Therefore, we were, here he goes again, just that verse 3, We were buried with him through baptism into death. Into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, that just as He was, even so we should walk in newness of life. So, salvation, in the Bible's point of view, says that when a person is a genuine Christian, there's been a genuine exchanged life happen. You don't want to persist and continue in sin anymore. That doesn't mean you don't commit them. It just means that when you do, you hate it. You don't want it anymore. That's where free will comes into play. Finally, for the first time, you now have it. You can freely choose to be obedient to the Lord Jesus. Or you can freely choose to be disobedient to the Lord Jesus. Before, you didn't even care. Why? Well, you were dead in sin. Captive. Held by it. In chains. It's all you could produce. But when Jesus came, you die with Him and you get raised to a new life. Suddenly, boy, this gets really deep. So this is working me hard. That hamster wheel in my head is just... So, in Adam... The Bible says all died because death spread to all men. Okay. Adam, we often have been told, is what we call our federal head. He represented all of us. I hate to use this as an example, but there's no better one. The federal head represents those under it. So the federal government of the United States speaks on all y'all's behalf to the rest of the world. (laughs) Politically, that's true. Boy, it ain't, it ain't true spiritually or any otherwise. And I wish they had asked me before they decided to knock me in the head. Okay. So, but the federal head of Adam, all he gave to the human race was the fall. Adam had in himself the ability not to sin. He was born with that. Or I should say he was created with that. He had the ability not to sin. Then there is the, the covenant of works established in the garden right there with the trees. 
There's the tree of life. That's a good option. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that one, you'll die. That's the bad option. And then you have the if-then clauses of covenant speak. What did they do? They went, for the, they went for the tree. And they died. Now they lived. But they died. But they lived. They now had the ability. And like we have to sin. And they sinned. And so God clothed them with skins. The first time blood was spilled in the created order. There had to be atonement made. And they, because of Genesis 3.15 and the seed that would come of the woman, we have now the covenant of redemption. And they are looking to that, Adam and Eve were, but to their posterity. All of us. We weren't born with the ability not to sin. We were born with the ability to just sin. So that when we become Christians, when we become born again of our second Adam, which is our, fed, our federal head Jesus now, right? He gives us the ability not to sin. I, I, have a, I am not bound now. Before I was, but now I'm not. Because now my, my second Adam, Jesus, has given me victory. And by virtue of his victory, I can have victory. I don't have to live down in that mug. I'm not chained there. I'm not bound there. I don't have to. Before I did, not now. And so that's what this is saying, that this baptism is symbolic of that death that happened when you go to your second Adam, Jesus, the better Adam, okay, under the covenant of redemption, which he fulfilled, and Jeremiah 31 comes into that, and I'll try not to get too in the minutia there. The victory is overwhelming in our favor because of our second federal head, which is our only federal head now. Look what uh, is written here by um, Robert Mounts. The believer has been buried with Christ through baptism into death. Burial certifies the reality of death. If we have a funeral service... And we're saying goodbye to somebody and they're laying here in repose in the, in the casket or perhaps the jar. That's it. You won't find them anywhere else. They're dead. Baptism is the ritual act that portrays this burial. The, that Paul did not speak of faith at this point is immaterial. He was using the ritual act of baptism as a symbol of the complete redemptive event that finds its effectual cause in the death of Christ and its completion in the faith of those who believe. So when we're over here and the baptistry's all set up and it's not leaking anything, okay? And just like little Chloe Baker, that was the other day, she stood in this water and she said why she was in the water, that she could point back, said, I was saved back three years ago and I'm standing here to say Essentially, if, if she could have known all this, she said, I died in Jesus that day. And this is my burial symbolically to testify of the fact that it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. That's what this is. This is the signator of it all. This is the example. That's why Paul uses baptism. Look how tall this microphone is.
Sorry, I saw it there and I thought, that's a really tall microphone. It's a really tall guy though. (laughs) Speak out of my forehead. But do you see why he uses baptism then to signify as the illustration of being dead to sin? She's been raised to new life by the power of his resurrection. Douglas Moo, another theologian I read, I like these guys because one of them is bent a certain way and the other one's bent another certain way, and I like to see what they do. But he says in this verse, verse 4 that we just read, Paul draws a conclusion, therefore, from the believer's incorporation into the death of Christ, if we have died with Christ through baptism, notice the emphasis in the text is on the word with. Okay, I've joined him, okay? Paul reasons then, we have also been buried with him through baptism, which is unto death. I die too. That's what my baptism that happened a long time ago represented. Although I ought to tell you, I didn't understand it then, really. I don't see a need to go back and get rebaptized again because I was doing it, because I trusted what the Bible said to do. It was an act of obedience, and I did it. And it is. That's the first step in obedience as a Christian. If you've been genuinely born again, it isn't why aren't you baptized, it's when will you be? Because that is the testimony of the command of Scripture to be identified. And this burial, it says, not only marks the end of the old life. Did you get that part? It marks the end of it. But it's also part of the transition to the new life in which the believer is now called to walk. God calls us to walk in it. To walk in Him. To live in Him. To change our thinking. We we talked about repentance. Metanoia is to change our direction. To change our mind. To repent of the old life. I don't want to go that way anymore. Now, should I stumble and fall? Does that mean I'm lost? No, it means you stumbled and fell. What do you do? You repent not to be saved. You don't say, God, save me again. No, Jesus' work is pretty good. Okay, you're you're His now. He's preserving you. You cannot keep that which you cannot earn, okay? So He he keeps it for you because, let me tell you why this works. (laughs) In the covenant of redemption which is connected to the Abrahamic covenant of faith, it's called a unilateral covenant or what we might call a one-sided condition. Usually in a two-sided covenant like uh, the covenant of works, God says, this is my part. This is your part. If you do your part, I'll do this part, right? Think back to the synodic covenant. God says, if if you will do this and continue my ways, then I will bring you rain and I will do all these things and everything will be fine. If you don't continue in my ordinances, in my command, then I will stop the rain and everything else is going to happen too. That's a, that is a, a conditional covenant that, that kind of goes on the side of us. The covenant of redemption is one-sided. It's unilateral. God keeps the whole thing. What did Abram have to do to keep that covenant of promise, that covenant of faith? Nothing. He was there. 
God is the one who walked through the pieces that were cut open. God is the one who's keeping it. When we're in Christ and we come and we die in Christ and we are buried with, in, in baptism to show that, Jesus is the one that keeps that covenant. Don't ever talk to me that you think you can lose what you cannot earn. Because what you're doing is you're saying that Jesus somehow is not capable of fulfilling his own covenant of promise. What? That's blasphemy is what that is. So what we have here then is, is, is this, this illustration to baptism and the beauty of what all that it represents. That it, keyword that it represents. Go back to the original question real quick. What's wrong with the American church that it looks like the world so bad? Is it that we've forgotten that we've died in Christ? Is it that we've never died at all, most of us? Is it that we think God's just going to continue to wink at everything and that we bought the lie that he just, he, he just loves us says, we are, it's okay, we don't have to improve or do anything. Have we forgot what the scriptural commands are to reflect Jesus in our world and in our life? To, to the, the, the works that God created that we should walk in them is real and is still in play? Do, have we forgot that? Do we listen to too much of what the world has to say on stuff and not enough of what God has to say on it? I think all the answers are, are sufficient. I think they all add up. goes on after verse 4. Paul writes, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, in verse 5, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. We're going to come back and tackle resurrection. But I want to say this, the power of Christ's resurrection is only efficacious for the one who has died to self. There is no universalism. That Christ died and therefore, whoosh, everybody's saved and going to heaven when they die. That was Unitarianism. But only to the one who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by repentance and faith. Colossians 3.3 just illustrates some of this. Funny thing is, some of this we used in Sunday school, so that's really cool how that works out. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. So, sanctification is about me being in Christ, seeking those things which are above. As corresponding to not that which is below. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For, here, you want to know why? <laughs> because you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why, why should you want to glorify God in your body? Because you died to yourself. That's why. When Christ is who our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory because this isn't it for you. You're going to go home one day. Praise God for that. Maranatha. I don't care what your ecclesiology the end times theory is, okay? He's coming back, and I'm ready now. 
Galatians 2.20 again. For, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I, why? Why is that? Because I've been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer supposed to be me that's presenting and living. The, the sanctification process of life is the process of, of you presenting less and less and less and less. And, and Jesus presenting more and more and more. John even said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's sanctification. Where does, where does it start? Salvation. How important is it? It's obviously important enough for Paul to hammer on it all the time. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. People ask sometimes, Christians, I'm talking, how are we supposed to live right now? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I sometimes in frustration will talk to Rindy or some of the others and I'll say, because that's how I feel inside, right? There's no translation for that, is there? You know why? Because it's not a language. So, <laughs> but, but I don't know sometimes how to compute what's happening and how I'm supposed to engage this. I, I, I'm hit with things that are so shocking to me. I'm, I am dumbfounded a lot. Okay? But the verse here tells me that I am to live by faith in the Son of God. And I'm just going to Mickey this here real quick. That means make it really simple. When I get in those situations or I, hear, I read something that's, that's just beyond the pale, I go back and I say, God, you know. You know. I don't understand this, but it's okay because you do. I live by faith in you. Do I have to do that once? Just once? I do it all the time. I have to do it all the time. Sometimes I don't make it. I come up and say, you know, and she'll be so patiently listening and then she'll remind me of that which I know, right? Of course, sometimes she has that, you know, it it switches all the time. Sometimes I'll I'll call Brian or Travis and and what's bad is if we all feel that same way the same day. That's a terminal conversation. It doesn't do any good. How about this? Galatians 3.27 For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ Notice what it says Have put on Christ You put him on Now apparently there was a ceremony in the Roman army And I forget if it were officers or enlisted men Probably officers Because they get the little cape It was called a, uh, a sacramentum or something And they wore it But when they made rank or whatever They got that They put it on They put it on when, we, when we're in Christ, we, we've been baptized into Christ. We've put on Jesus. One guy even kind of like a uniform. We're donned, dressed, clothed, covered with him. This is the reality from God's point of view. Colossians 2, 11, 13. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off 
the body of the sins of the flesh. You took it off. When you come to Christ, you took it off. You, it's cast away from you. By the circumcision of Christ, buried, now notice this language, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God. Did you see that? Who raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive. Who did this anyways? This verse right here is pretty much nails a nail in the board, doesn't it? In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made a life together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Salvation is the work of God. You bring nothing to it. You don't bring faith to it. He gives it to you to give, to, to honor, to respond to. I have to share this short story with you and I'll be done. I have one slide left, but I'll just, you know, save it till next week. I heard this story. This is one of those good stories. This is English history. There was a, there was a, a King Charles the something. I was on the lawnmower, so, okay, some of the details. <clears throat> he was captured. And, uh, and I think it was one of those internal things. You know, there was a, uh, uh, other people, or another guy wanted to be king instead of Charles, so he had him arrested. There was a coup, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm really not altogether sure. Nonetheless, king, Char- king Charles found himself in the prison. And, and, and he was in a cell. You know, you see those medieval prison cells, and they have that tiny little sad window there with the bars and all. And it's high off the ground, too. Well, there was a huge support for King Charles. In fact, for a, 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 good, a good long time, I don't know how long, it was just a long period of time, these supporters meticulously planned out his escape. They had, they had everything, even they had the getaway, the route to take. They had another king of another nation ready to take him in and promote him even and give him an army. They had it all. All he had to do was get out of that cell and get out that, he had to get out that little window and get to the courtyard. That's all he had to do. And he could have been saved. Don't you see the problem? How in the name of thunder is he supposed to get out of there? He got no hacksaw. He got no key. He didn't have a jackhammer. And there's guards all around it. But all he had to do was just get there. That's why salvation, you want it to be a work of God. You can't get there unless God gets you there. He breaks the bars out of the window. He reaches in and grabs you by the neck. And he pulls you out the window. And he slams you on the courtyard. Then he grabs you with the big bear hug and takes you to glory. That's what he does. He does it all. Therefore, why would you want to live like that's not true? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus... You're running on borrowed time. 
The Bible says that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion that Israel did back in the wilderness, but humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Come to him. Repent of your sin. Cry out for mercy. Ask Him to save your soul. Cooperate. I'm using all these words that what salvation looks like from our point of view. But simply come. Be saved. Know the Lord who bought you. Repent and live. And know that mercy that saves that cuts those chains. As JT plays today, the altar is open. I'll be up here. Whatever God may be calling you to do, Christian, if you've lived in a way that has shown that to be opposite, get rid of it. Repent. Remember your sanctification is to glorify God. And let us as a church realign ourselves with who we're supposed to be.